Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you all. My name is Kyle Lounsbury, and along with my amazing wife, we help serve in the college and campus ministries here in Orange County. You know, it's been great being here and living here for a little bit of time now, and we're loving what we're doing. We're loving serving, and we love Orange County uh, as a whole. It's a great place, and we're enjoying it. You know, we're, we're starting a two-part series today called Passion for People. All right, we're starting a two-part series called Passion for People, and today I'm going to be doing the first part, and next week we're going to be hearing from our lead evangelist in the North OC Church, Marcel Hall, as he does the second part to this series. And today's title is called A Passion Worth Imitating. All right, A Passion Worth Imitating. And I'm looking forward to get into this with you guys and be able to talk a little bit about uh, a passion worth imitating. You know, for those who don't know me, I grew up loving to play basketball. Okay, that was my sport. I played it growing up in middle school and in high school. I was on the, the team uh, at Rancho Cucamonga High School, and I was playing small forward there. And uh, if you haven't met me in person yet, I'm actually pretty tall. I'm, I'm, I consider myself fairly tall. I'm not a giant compared to some of these NBA giants. But uh, I'm about six feet, six inches tall, and I played ball all throughout my childhood. You know, for any sports fans, and specifically basketball fans, uh, we love imitating professionals, right? The idea of imitating a professional athlete is is something that we all desire to do. You know, for the older generations back in the 90s, right, it was all about being like who? Being like Mike, right? Michael Jordan, one of the best basketball players ever to play the game. Uh, they always said, I want to be like Mike, Right when I was growing up, when I was in uh, in middle school and in through high school, the phrase that we would always hear: you see a kid shoot a, a paper ball into the trash can, and he would yell out "Kobe!" Right in reference to Kobe Bryant. Uh, for all the L.A. Laker fans out here, uh, rest in peace, the late great Kobe Bryant. But when I got to high school, I loved imitating my specific game of basketball to a player named Kevin Durant. And he's still playing ball. He's a great ball player. And what I loved about him, he was just such a smooth and silky and, and just a great finesse style of game. For those who don't know him, he's, he's actually seven feet tall, maybe a little bit under that. But he's very tall, very thin statured, has a great jump shot. But he plays the small forward position. Usually and traditionally in basketball, uh, the center is seven feet tall, which is the biggest position. Kevin Durant's the, one of the tallest guys, but he plays the third smallest position, the small forward. Usually the guys who play small forward are around 6'7 to 6 feet 8 inches, a little bit taller than I am. Uh, but Kevin Durant's 7 feet and is capable of playing that. And so I just admired his game, and I thought, man, he is so good. He has such amazing skills. And so I tried to imitate my basketball skills after his. You know, and after thinking about this idea of imitating... I asked myself the question, why do I desire to imitate people's examples? Why do we desire to imitate people's examples? You know, I think there's something inside all of us that we really have an appreciation for someone who is excellent at their craft, who, is, who does something great. You know, and whether it's your favorite band, your favorite artist, your favorite chef, maybe it's your favorite athlete, or even your favorite movie star, we all desire to imitate them, we all appreciate their greatness, and we all look at their examples as something that's worth imitating. 
And today, I want to look at the example of someone who has done something great consistently throughout their life and is the perfect example. And we all know who that example is. That is the one and only Jesus Christ. So if you can, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 9 as we dig in to a passion worth imitating. We'll be looking at three different examples or interactions Jesus has uh, with different people. And I want us to take a close look at Jesus' response, his characteristics, and his interactions during these moments. And we'll pick up in John chapter 9 in verse 1 as we dig into our first point here. In John 9 verse 1 it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Wow. Point number one is Jesus loves despite the circumstance. Jesus loves despite the circumstance. We see Jesus come across a blind man, right? And, and usually this story focuses on the point of allowing the works of God to be displayed in our lives despite our circumstances, despite our challenges, whatever we're going through. And I love that point. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I also want to point out the way that Jesus handles this interaction. Just look closely. I think there's something very unique about this. Notice how the blind man in this situation, in this story, he doesn't ask Jesus to be healed. He doesn't ask for sight. He never does. Yet Jesus decides to heal him and give him sight. This is an interesting point because I think sometimes we don't understand that we may need healing or can be healed in our lives. I think a lot of us can forget the need that we have to be healed. A lot of us can cannot even realize. Sometimes we just miss, wow, we've been this way for so long that we don't even realize that we can be healed. You know, and Jesus has the compassion and the love to heal people despite our tough circumstances. And that's what I love about Christ. He has that love, that compassion. You know, let's be real here. We all have different and difficult circumstances that we don't have any control over. I mean, look at the past year. Look at what we've all gone through. This past year has been tough circumstances very difficult and we haven't had any control and the example of Jesus that we see in this story to care enough to stop what he was doing take a moment take interest and give sight to this blind man is powerful think about the tough circumstances you may have been put in lately maybe in the past year maybe in the past couple months think about what you've gone through Maybe it's health, health issues. Maybe some of us have been sick for a long time. 
Maybe uh, it's family issues. Maybe there's been family drama. Maybe family members have passed away. Loss of a loved one. You know, another difficult circumstance that's very common right now is, is financial burdens, financial struggles. Right? The pandemic did a number on a lot of people financially. And it's tough to recoup from that and get back from that. Whatever you're going through, whatever struggle you're in right now, I want to reassure you, Jesus will not quit on us. He will not give up on us. You know, have you ever thought about your struggle maybe as an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed in you? Now, I know that's such a difficult concept and a difficult thing to think about. But in our lives, if you continually process this this deep, deep teaching during the toughest of times, you will realize God is working and he's trying to have his glory displayed in your life. You know, Jesus' passion to love people through difficult times is one I think we should all imitate. It's worthy of imitation. Jesus loves us, cares for us, and presents for us, or I'm sorry, not presents, is present for us in the most difficult of times. And you see that he was present here with this blind man. He's here for him, and he heals him. They ask him, was he born blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? The disciples were looking for an answer. Yet Jesus is like, first of all, that's a very irrational question, right? How could he sin be the cause of him being born blind? That makes no sense, right? And so I think even a point to think about is when we are in these moments where, where we just don't understand what's going on, we get irrational and we lose focus and we lose trust and we lose the love of Christ. We forget it. You know, the feeling of a helping hand or an act of love is powerful and it's so needed. I want you all to think about a time in your lives where you've been in a difficult spot, where you feel like the circumstances you've been in are the worst. You know, I want to share personally, I, I just think reading this, I think about the time not too long ago, about a month ago, when my father-in-law had passed. You know, and it was a tough time for Jasmine and I. It was difficult to see a loved one no longer with us. And I'm so grateful for the support, for the love, for the, the comfort that we've, we've been given and felt from a lot of you. You know, from the campus ministry, from sending us cards and food and gifts and just the encouragement and the love. It went a long way. You know, and then this past Friday we had the, we had the, uh, the funeral. And, and some of the, the staff members, Marcel and Karina, came and they supported us. The Stevensons, they came and supported us. And just having their presence there during a tough, difficult time, it meant the world. It meant everything. And that love is so impactful. It's so deeply helpful. Jesus loves us deeply, despite whatever circumstance we're in. And I want to encourage you guys this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever difficult struggle you're, you're battling with, Jesus will not quit on you. And he loves you despite what you're going through. And I also want to call us higher that as a church, as disciples of Jesus who love Christ, 
I want to call us higher to imitate Jesus' example. His example of having passion to love people despite difficult circumstances is absolutely needed. So I want to encourage us this morning to absolutely imitate that example. Point number two is Jesus is patient even when we mess up. Jesus is patient even when we mess up. And then we're going to look at a scripture here in John chapter 8 verse 1 if you want to turn there. But in John 8 verse 1 it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is such an amazing interaction that we see Jesus have with this woman. I mean, just take, take a moment. Put yourself in this, in this moment that this woman is going through. Think about the feelings, the emotions that she must have been feeling. You know, I personally, I know I would be scared. I would be feeling guilty. I know I would, I would probably be feeling so broken. I'm caught right in the act of my sin. I'd be scared. This woman clearly sinned. She messed up. She done messed up. And we have all sinned and we've all messed up. Right? The scriptures are clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That we all have sinned. And it's not a good feeling. Especially when you're caught. So we can relate a little bit here with what this woman is going through who's caught in her sin. But let's pay attention to Jesus' reaction. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow, what a powerful response. They're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to stone this woman. The Pharisees are trying to build a case. And Jesus completely displays love. Jesus displays an act of love for this woman in the midst of a self-inflicted moment. This woman, she decided to sin much like many of us have. This wasn't a tough circumstance that just happened out of nowhere and she had no control over. She chose to sin. I know we've all been there before. I know I have. Choosing to sin. Yet Jesus, his response is blow away. Jesus loves her even though she had messed up. And Jesus loves you even when you mess up. He shows mercy and compassion despite 
the poor choices of her actions. Something I can take from this, honestly, is that I want to imitate Jesus' love, patience, and mercy for other people. I mean, if I were in those shoes and I received the reaction that she received from Jesus, I would be moved. I would be grateful. I would be so, so thankful. You know, but far too often, I can catch myself being very judgmental or critical of other people's poor actions. Yet Jesus will open his arms continuously and display love. So we have to ask ourselves this question this morning, church. How am I going to eliminate a judgmental and critical lens of how I view people? Let's be real. We're judgmental. We're critical. We look at people through a critical lens. And that is not godly. And we've got to eliminate, we've got to abolish, delete that out of our minds, out of our character, and get rid of it. The Pharisees had this as, as their, their MO. This is how they thought. They were critical. They had this lens of judgment. It's not how Jesus was. It's not who he is. We've got to imitate Jesus and the love he displays despite our mess-ups. You know, I want to be real. I'm afraid that we've allowed ourselves to become a little too self-righteous and critical of the world and the people around it. You know, we can scare off. Let's be real here. We can scare off and close people's ears off with our self-righteousness, with our, our judgments and our criticalness of people. That's how we are. And that's just not the way of Christ. This is the way of the Pharisees. Imagine the safety and the trust people will have if we open our arms, if we're patient, if we're calm, if we're not judgmental, but if we're loving and gracious the way Jesus was. Just think about the impact we would have. Because the truth is, we're not better than any other people. We're just as sinful. We're just as messed up. And we need to imitate the love that Jesus has for those who mess up. Imagine if Jesus decided not to love us despite our mess ups. Imagine the burden we'd feel. Imagine the, the feelings of, of anxiety, of always having to feel perfect. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus desperately loves us and cares for us. You know, when Jesus has a true passion for people, he genuinely cares and genuinely loves, and he will forgive. So I want to encourage us. We cannot be critical. We cannot be judgmental. Rather, we must love despite people's mess-ups. Point number three, as we come to a close, is Jesus embraces people's needs. Jesus embraces people's needs. And we're going to come into a story here as we land the lesson in Matthew chapter 14. And we see that in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus gets news of something tragic. He hears that his best friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, is beheaded. And, you know, so we can only imagine the, the emotion, the feelings, the the things Jesus is going through and dealing with, with the loss of his best friend. 
And so Jesus, it says that he withdrew to a solitary place. But immediately thereafter, we're going to pick up, we see what happens, but immediately after in verse 14 of chapter 14, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Oh my goodness. So, we see what's going on here with Jesus. He, he gets news of John the Baptist has been beheaded, he's been killed. He withdraws to a solitary place, and immediately thereafter, he has to go back to the crowd. And the first thing it says is he starts healing their sick. After he heals their sick, he's got 5,000 people hanging out there, and they're hungry. They're in a, in a, in a place that doesn't have the, uh, the resources of food, and the people are hungry. So the disciples come up, they ask him, hey, what are we going to do? They're hungry. We need to figure this out. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Let's take care of them. Let's deal with it ourselves. And so we see that, yes, Jesus is going through a tough tragedy and a difficult time, yet there were clear and evident needs that people had. Jesus met these needs and took care of the people despite it being inconvenient to him. What an amazing example. Think about that for a second. He's just dealing with the loss of a loved one. And he's still embracing people's needs and meeting them. This personally, can this really does convict me, church. Because I believe, you know, I want to serve the way that Jesus did. Despite it being tough, despite it being inconvenient for me, but personally, I can be selfish. I know for me, I can get into this mindset of, well, uh, someone else will take care of it. Uh, I don't have the time right now, or I've got to make sure I take care of myself first. And really, if that was true, then I wouldn't be doing it as often as I do. Because it's genuinely just selfishness inside of me. But I think we can grow accustomed to this. And this has honestly become part of our culture. Not here just as our church, but this is like American culture. It's selfishness. It's about me, about what I can do. What can I do for me? And I think it just challenges me to see that Jesus put his needs aside for other people's needs. And that is just so powerful. Think about how many needs we could meet for people if we imitated this example. Just think about it. And Jesus, he sets that perfect example as we see here. He could have very easily just sent the crowds away say, you know what, not today guys, sorry about that. I can't do it. I'm dealing with a, a tough situation. Have a good one. Hope you find your food. Right? And then there will be no story of him turning these loaves and fish into 5,000 or, or, or enough to feed 5,000. But Jesus said, I understand what I'm going through is tough. 
God's going to take care of me. I trust in him. This is all according to his plan. And I'm going to continue to move forward, embrace people's needs, and meet them the way that God would want me to. So what is our excuse for not meeting people's needs this morning? What can be our excuse? You know, is your excuse selfishness just like me? Is it just a selfish desire inside you that you don't want to meet people's needs because you got something better to do according to yourself? Maybe it's inconvenience. Maybe it's the whole idea of, man, that's going to be tough to do. I don't know if I can do that. It's just inconvenient. Or maybe it's laziness. Maybe for some of us, we're just too lazy. We got, you know, Netflix to watch. We got to make sure we play our games. We got to, you know, college students, I know we like video games and teens, but hey, there's needs that need to be met. Maybe it's laziness for you. Or maybe, this is the, this is the big one here, maybe it's you don't feel like it. I've heard that a lot lately. Oh, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like it's it's my my role. I don't I don't feel like doing that today. I don't feel like that. You know, we're living in a time that we live our lives according to what we feel. And I'm going to be honest. That's a dangerous path to walk. Jesus didn't live according to what he felt. That's not how Jesus lived his life. He didn't live based off of his feelings. He lived according to the truth. He had the perfect excuse to not serve these people. The perfect ideal excuse. If, if he would have used this excuse, nobody would have batted an eye. That his, his cousin died, he's going through it, he needs a break. Yet, what do we see? We see him embrace the needs. We see him overcome whatever he's feeling and say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to my feelings I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to help the needy. I'm going to take care of people. Now, I'm not saying that we should just blow off you know, our emotions and feelings and not deal with them. I believe Jesus dealt with them. And I believe he was a master at doing that. So I don't want to completely disregard that. But what I am saying is I want us to imitate this example of Christ. That we've got to embrace people's needs and do what we can do to meet them. Imagine what our church, the Orange County Church of Christ, is going to look like when we start imitating Jesus' example. I'm not going to even say if. I'm going to say when. Imagine when, it, when we do that. Think about how amazing it's going to be. Think about how amazing it'll be when we're all loving people despite our circumstances. Think about how amazing it's going to be when we're all patient with people, even when they mess up and we open our arms in love. And think about how amazing it will be when we all start embracing people's needs, move ourselves out of the way, and put others in front of us. Think about that. It's going to be amazing. I believe we're going to do it. I believe we have what it takes. And the perfect example for us to follow is none other than Jesus Christ. I want us to reflect on the passion that Jesus has for people. In a minute here, we're going to be taking communion. And I want us to take a moment to just reflect on the passion that we see from Jesus. That his example is worth imitating. And the greatest act of passion for people was when Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins. 
That was the greatest single act of love. It was all for you and me. So let's participate this morning in a passion worth imitating. Thank you. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer and we'll take communion at this time. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, just for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth. Thank you for just the love and the passion that he has for all of us on this earth. That he deeply loves and cares for your people. God, I love the examples that we're able to look at this morning and see how Jesus completely gives his life over so that someone else and their needs can be met. God, I pray that as a church we can begin imitating Jesus' example. And I know many of us already are fighting to imitate it, and I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like that. And I pray that we can continue to strive and move forward to do the best we can to have this passion for people. And to remember that there's so much good and great that's to come. There's so much that we get to look forward to. That the best is yet to come. We have the hope of heaven. The hope of facing you face to face and being intimate in heaven with you. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.